0: Good morning, everyone. We're speaking with the Juno Chamber of Commerce today. I am joined by Executive Director Craig Dahl and past President Eric Forst. Good morning, you two. Good morning, morning, Kevin. Now, I see you've all returned to the Moose Lodge for your luncheons.
1: Absolutely. We are back at the Moose, and... um our members like it out there. Plenty of parking, um, good service. You know, they're just a good group of people to work with. And but they, I'm going to come back. They really like the parking.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's a nice. It's nice to be back in the valley. It's a lot more convenient for a lot of our members out in the valley too.
0: And coming out to the luncheon, I will say I appreciate it as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you about a recent presentation you had, which was about the Douglas Crossing. What do you think of this new? process yielding any fruit i know the crossing has been a topic talked about before in the city
1: well i always like to give at least a short version of the history just mm. what's happened um the crossing has been one of chambers probably two main i'm going to call them long-standing initiatives hoping that someday we would have a, a crossing another crossing for foster development out in north douglas of course, the Juno access, road out of Juno. That's been one of our other big ones. Um, this was voted on and died several years ago, probably ten years oh, or more. Over that, yeah. yeah. And uh, we could we could talk all day of why that why that did not work at the time. Uh, about five years ago, uh, in our Government Affairs Committee, we started talking again, and the reason was we learned through the Department of Transportation that. They were more concerned now that the Juno douglas Bridge was reaching, um, let's just call it operational capacity uh, during peak hours. And, and so not very favorable towards any future development of any large scale projects, whether it's housing or commercial, out North Douglas without there being a second crossing. Mm. So we actually approached Mayor Kelch uh, at the time and ask him if he would consider and talk to the assembly about putting money in the budget to conduct what then what was called a Pell study, and we can talk about that briefly. But um, we felt it was time the project came back onto the scene, somebody has to pay for it, and uh, of course, that would be the city. <laughs> and uh, Mayor Elch put 250, 250 or 280,000 in their CIP budget that year, we were actually hopeful that the process. Then, um, that, by the way, was represented about ten percent of the cost of a Pell study. Um, the, the two hundred fifty thousand. Two hundred fifty thousand. The Pell study. Uh, the Pell study was estimated to be between two point three and two point five million dollars to to conduct. Um, it's taken until mid last year. It's taken this long to get the city and borough of juneau and the state of alaska department of transportation to finally come together on a memorandum of understanding to move forward even though everybody seemed to be on the same page to move forward work government takes time
2: they grind very slowly
1: <laughs> and uh, so the pell study uh, the pell study is i'm going to call it a um it's really overlooking the transportation needs the environmental impacts in general, and some of the economics around any project. And the study itself um, isolates and identifies, um, in this case, alternatives. Uh, We were told last week they're not gonna come down, the Pell study will not result in a final recommendation, but rather than probably two or three uh, final recommendations of things that should be considered. Um, But in that process, that they're going to have um, community input. Um, there's technical input and a lot of good discussion on, you know, what are the impacts if we do or don't do this um, and the benefits to the community. If the Pell study would be completed probably late, mid next year, idealist uh, ideally. And if everything is on track, we would move right into the NEPA pro- process, which is what we're all more familiar with, which is the environmental the environmental impacts of each of the um, possible sites. Um, it's, we believe that the project is important to, uh, first of all, the island only has one access. And as we all know, it's managed to have a couple of barge strikes the last year. Or two.
2: Um, Not to mention the fact that it's very crowded in the morning and in the evening and traffic's getting heavier the traffic on there. The traffic is,
1: I think the statistic we heard last week, 14,000 vehicles oh. uh, a day
2: on the bridge. And that's l- lower than it used to be pre-pandemic. Yeah. It was as high as 17, yeah. I believe. Nice.
1: And I actually found it interesting. They grade their intersections um, F, A through F, like school. And the, the roundabout and the intersection of uh, the bridge and uh, um, Egan Drive. Are at a a weak D <laughs> at the moment, yeah, and and so there's just not a lot of support for doing any any anything that would increase traffic um, extensively beyond that point. Uh, we also felt the timing, you know, maybe the timing is right. Both the interest on the part of Department of Transportation, uh, community needs, um, and by the way, community needs safety. Another alternative to bring emergency services to the island. Um, I mean that
0: you've got an emergency response and only one bridge. That's correct. Oh.
2: Yeah. And, and, and the need for those emergencies is only going to increase. Even if you look at Department of Transportation data, you know, the population is aging. There's a lot more seniors here now than there was 10 years ago. I think it's almost double. And so, obviously, a lot of those people are going to live on Douglas. So the need for those emergency calls is only going to grow. So as,
1: as possible development grows. Exactly. Uh-huh. And of course, you know, there's all these other important side benefits like being able to leave the valley and drive right over to Eagle Crest. I mean, how, how fun can that be? And and also opening up the door to any development on North Douglas without necessarily impacting um, the people already on North Douglas Highway um, that, that already have lots, plenty, plenty of congestion as, as it is. That live right there on the highway. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that the, the Pell process will give plenty of opportunity for community input. Um, they're going to look at the alternatives. I, I was very impressed with the presentation last week. Uh, Dowell Engineering, Dowell has the contract uh, to perform the Pell study. And, um, and we're, we're involved. We actually have representatives on both the community committee and the technical committee. So uh, we're staying involved.
0: So what I wanted to ask you, because he had said this whole process is a blank slate. They are starting from square one. They'll look at some of the past information, but they're starting from square one. And uh, I understand that in the past, the thought was to have the bridge around the Vanderbilt Road area. And then there was the Mendenhall Peninsula area. Has there been any thought yet, even though this is pretty early on a location?
2: Well, there's a, there's been a lot of locations over the years have been looked at. I mean, the Walmart intersection was looked at. Industrial Boulevard was looked at. So there's a lot of options out there, and I think that's what they're going to do is, is go through those and identify which ones of those have the most potential. Um, I think, you know, the closer you are to the existing bridge, the less beneficial I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the farther away you get, probably the more expensive it is. So there's going to be some some work in there, and and that's what the study will, will help... Um, narrow it down to at least the three two or three that are the most likely to uh to succeed and then from there we can have a a larger discussion about which one is most beneficial
1: and i think in years past there's always been the you know how do you pay it's not going to be an inexpensive project um you know unfortunately for or fortunately for all the unfortunate reasons the the, the COVID infrastructure monies that have been put into the system. Um, there are several grants opportunities out there that will fit the timing on this project. Um, the fact that the, uh, the state is interested, of course there would be probably federal monies then brought into this um, to happen. The other thing is we, we always get excited about a project. Even if everything goes on schedule, we're talking about something that's still gonna take six to seven, eight years in the making. So um, I'm not laying awake worrying about how quickly I'm going to get over to Eagle Crest in the next couple of years. Well, well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, is is there anything either of you'd like to add about this crossing work before
2: we go over to the second part? Well, I'm just really happy to see it happening. I'm glad to see the city and the state working together collaboratively and including uh, the community and the chamber in all those discussions. And I think we're all working to get the best answers at the end. And then um, hopefully we'll identify uh, a project that we can all get behind and move forward with.
0: Uh, Craig. I'm good. You're good. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're good. We'll hear back from you in a second. And we're back with the Juno Chamber of Commerce. We've got past president, Eric Forrest and executive director, Craig Dahl, with us, we've heard a lot of talk, and there's even been a presentation on this sales tax exemption on food proposal. We wanted to get the word from
1: you all about what you think. Well, let's see if we can be real quick on this. I know we've got even more to talk about today, but um, you know, first of all, the assembly's been wrestling with this issue of uh, giving a full exemption on sales tax for food to the entire community, and. Um, the the chamber really isn't weighing on weighing in for or against. I mean, I think you could look at the benefits to the entire community and say this is a this is a good thing, and and we certainly have supported that in the past. I think the issue the chamber has right now is that the the this creates about a six million dollar hole in the sales tax uh, budget, and the proposals the primary proposals on the table is to fill that hole with a seasonal sales tax raising it from 5% during probably the winter months to 6% during the summer months. Um, alternatively, you can go to a flat tax. Um, and Jeff Rogers has given several public presentations. We've, we've met with him personally. Jeff has done a lot of work on this. Um, and mathematically, he can show that the average taxpayer in Juno would probably, the average family, would probably save $140 a year by going to a seasonal sales tax, which would take advantage of the higher visitations of our you know tourism business. Mm-hmm. Um, but the chamber is really not in favor of the seasonal tax. And we could probably go into a fairly long list, but let me just see if I can hit the high points and Eric's gonna back me up here as soon as I forget. Um, you know, with the first the first thing we're concerned about is that in the summer months is when probably most people go out and make their significant purchases, to, whether they're fixing up their home, their business, their their cabin, their boat, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. so that that in fact you're raising the price to the to the local taxpayer um, by a, a full percentage point on that on that sales tax, and. Um, the ship visitors or the cruise, in, the tourist industry, visitor industry doesn't contribute less than half of the sales tax during that summer month. So it's still the burden is still falling on the local people with that increased expense. Um, the The other thing that we're concerned about is it's just not as easy as flipping the switch. I mean, it sounds easy to go, okay, on May one we're going to go from five percent to six percent. Um, every business, depending on their size and their sophistication and their staffing has to make, you know, how do I, how do I implement, implement that on my system? How do I make that work? Um, we actually are still communicating with the big national chains and we haven't completed our um, survey. I've talked to two of them yesterday, whether they can and can't quickly adapt to that change in sales tax.
2: Um, Seasonal so it's, a sale. Con-
0: its a concern logistical, and it's
2: a logistical concern. Mm-hmm. There, and, you know, some POS systems are either easier to modify than others. Uh, some of them, some depending on the size of your business, you may you may have tech support to help you with that. You may not, and you may have to pay to have someone um, reprogram your system twice a year. Um, you know, so it just depends on the size and scope of your business and how you operate it and there 's expenses there and there 's you know um, some of the other expenses people don 't think about is that you know your the business is going to pay increased fees on their sales tax revenue that they collect in the summer, which is when they 're the busiest. They are got to pay the fees on that on that extra money that comes in, so that creates another another um, expense for the business that um, is trying to on their credit card. Yeah, on their credit, credit, cards, credit card transactions. On trans- their credit card trans- transactions, you know I'd that say. it's, it's a it's a it's a hidden expense, you know. But you know, again, all these businesses um, that are seasonal businesses um, are talking about, and you know, still working on trying to recover from the pandemic. And so, to put more expenses on them, I think is is not a wise. Um, decision at the time um, I think even you know businesses like Don Abel and um, you know Valley Lumber and uh, Valley Paint all these guys that do a ton of their business in the summer that's when the majority of their business happens people doing construction all that stuff So there's a lot of local impacts to doing this seasonal sales tax and you know Jeff did have a lot of different options you know he he's he's a numbers guy right he'll, he'll do the math any way you want and you can do it a lot in ways you could raise it to you could raise it year-round to five and a half percent think and pay for the whole thing yeah right so there's all these different options that I think need to be looked at seriously because you know would it be easier to just change the rate once and be done with it and if it's you know a half percent okay then that's that's a lot easier and not a lot less complicated going back and forth twice a year every year going forward um, so we'll, we'll have to see
1: and I think they've always been very um, I'm going to call them optimistic on their sales tax projections um, I think that um Not that we want to see the hole created and never filled, but maybe we ought to let another season go through and we see what our uh, out-of-state online sales tax looks like, what our additional sales tax would look like just coming in from increased business. Um, And and there's other – this doesn't have to be an all or nothing. It could be a partial sales tax. It could be a partial – Hate say it, could be a partial property tax. It could be a p- possible cost cutting um, to fill that gap without just saying let's fix six billion dollars by increasing the um, sales tax. A tax and with a tax. A, yep.
0: Right. Moving a tax, but adding a tax is what I what I mean.
2: Yeah. Well, but the other thing is, is it, crea- it creates this hole. But they also have a gigantic. Um, surplus right Mm. they've got all this revenue that they've they've built up from the pandemic and all this stuff and they're uh, under projecting what they're going to bring in so there's I don't know 40 million dollars or whatever it is in in the reserves and yeah they're spending some of that but they still have a ton of reserves so I don't think there's the urgency to fill the hole that they think there is I think that if they're going to do something they can make that change and then wait a couple of years and write it out and see how does that affect the budget and then decide. Okay, going forward, we're gonna. Looks like we're gonna have this size of a hole. How are we gonna fill that? As opposed to assuming there's automatically gonna be a six million dollar hole, and we got to come up with six million dollars today, right? I don't know that that's necessarily necessary, given the 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 uh, amount of um, reserves the city's carrying right now. Yeah, and and the uncertainty
0: of how much we'll get in sales taxes. Right. Yeah.
1: And I think just the general comment that we try to, we we want to watch over our smaller members to say, look, they've been hit hard. We're coming out of COVID. Let's not do anything that's going to cost them more money at this point in the process. And
2: this will cost them more money. There's no doubt about it. It will cost them more money. So
0: a matter I had wanted to ask you about was, when we've seen petitions circulate about this, the, the, the mandatory disclosure and the petition and the group calling for this petition wants to repeal that mandatory disclosure. What have you heard?
1: So, um, at the moment, we, we we the chamber, we haven't weighed in on their petition in terms of what they're trying to do. Uh, when this first went into place, we had written uh, the assembly. Um, the assembly went, chose to go ahead and put the mandatory disclosure in place. Uh, as a compromise to some of the objections over full disclosure, they put a sentence in their ordinance that basically said, uh, you have to disclose, but it'll only, the only person that'll see it is the assessor. So it'll be confidential.
2: There's the unintended and, consequence.
1: And that seemed like a good compromise, but nobody saw the unintended consequences. So when um, our business members who were very bothered by the increase in the commercial property assessments went to appeal their assessment value, um, And when they queried, how did you come up with that number? The answer was, we can't tell you, it's confidential. And that was the unforeseen consequence that um, you you can't have, (laughs) the two sides can't have different information. The chamber did write a letter to, uh, on behalf of our commercial members to remove that restriction. And there was some proposed language to say, you can still keep it confidential provided the appellate is access to the same information during an appeal process, the assembly chose to just completely take the sentence out, um, and then they implemented the fifty dollar a day. I think it's fifty dollars. Fifty dollars a day, which then got a lot of people very very interested in it because up to that point there really had been non non compliance with the mandatory disclosure. Um, we we did not weigh in on that, and that's what this position is trying to undo: is the uh, uh, requirement. In general, and we we've not taken a position.
2: We'll probably wait until s- there's a there's a an actual um, when it that,
0: when it does get the signature. If it gets yeah. enough yeah. signatures,
2: the signatures. And, they, and then and then we'll take a look at it and see what what that's going to do and how what the language is going to be. Um, you know, there are a lot of other states that do this. Um, We're one of only, I think, 13 states that don't have uh, mandatory disclosure. Um, So So,
1: it it got complicated because it's just Juneau. So Alaska hasn't changed their law. This is really we're the only. uh, Now I could be wrong on that. We're the only municipality, but I think we're the only municipality uh, with this requirement. So there's an argument that if it's that important, why doesn't the whole state do it? Um, So we'll see where it goes.
0: Well, Craig, before we wrap up here, let's do a little roundup of what's going on. Uh, later this week, you've got a luncheon. Tell yeah, so uh,
1: so actually, we have a gentleman named El- Albert Fogel. He's going to be talking about um, health care for small business and uh you and i were talking previously you recall that the uh alaska chamber had a program they were trying to bring online that mm-hmm. we were we kept talking about it it just didn't come to fruition a lot a of health care
0: ta- program for, yeah, for small businesses health,
1: a health care program that would have been able to be offered to chamber members across the state and and that that died a, a death waiting for the courts to process whatever the litigation was that, that came out it was kind of a national issue not just an alaskan issue um so the uh, moda healthcare that uh, al is going to be talking about is an alternative for small businesses Um, it's a product that's available uh, through uh, several of our local agents so it's it's not isolated in fact i know they're going to be present at tomorrow's meeting but al's going to give an overview of what it means what you know? What are the pros and cons? But the fact is, it makes available to the small sole proprietor, the small business person, um, we'll say, affordable health care with whatever obvious limitations are out there. The one benefit that is out there is chamber members. They, they there is an annual fee involved in this health care plan, and um, the chamber is able to uh, afford their members a, a discount on that annual fee. But we don't have any stake in the health care program itself.
0: And uh, we'll have a longer program on this, but I know you got some dates for the golf tournament as well yeah
2: we actually have well first up we actually is gold rush days is back on june 18th and 19th and um, i think we're going to be there as well but um yes our next event is going to be the golf tournament which is july 30th and we're super excited about it the, the committee's really busy planning already um i'm already putting together my team so get your team ready together it's going to be it's going to sell out quickly it's a nine hole best ball tournament lots of fun with lots of prizes um just it be a great time all around
1: all right. And I see uh, Wade's on his way for Problem Corner, so it's time for us <laughs> that to must say our <laughs> so that,
0: that, that is. That, our cue our was the ABC News just a few minutes ago. So that that's Eric Forrest and Craig Dahl with the Chamber. Tomorrow we'll be talking with the Docks and Harbors Department. Thank you all for tuning in. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line signing off.